You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. The first Christmas outside of shepherds in the fields, probably nobody else had a glorious show to watch. The first Christmas... Um, By the way, I know I don't want to destroy everybody's understanding of their little nativity and everything, but the first Christmas did not have the wise men there. Most likely they came later, right? And there was no Holiday Inn. There was no, you know, Motel 6 or whatever, Bethlehem. Um, Basically, the first Christmas was very simple, very plain, And unless the gospel, like Luke, recorded it and Mary gave those words, nobody much would have known about it. Because nobody important, according to the world, was there that night. So maybe it's appropriate that we are celebrating Christmas this way today. So um, we consider Christmas, though, man, hasn't it taken on a life of its own? It's so everything else these days. But this simple message, that one little knot, the one thing that gets solved, and then everything else starts to fall in place. We've made a tangled mess of our lives. In fact, um, we, it's, it's worse than ever, I think. Now, I'm sounding like an old man now, you know. Man, I don't remember it being this. But um, I, I, um, I consider this is supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year. And yet, um, it seems the most stress-filled, anxious time with high expectations, struggles, trying to figure everything out, and we're just tired. What I've also been noticing, um, we've just gone through the last couple of years with this pandemic. It's not been quite two years, but um, this has been what's called the great resignation from jobs. It's also been the great migration away from different organizations, including church. And it's been also kind of the great uh, sort People are kind of doing different things. And they, it was like you've had an excuse over the last year and a half to evaluate everything and go like, is it worth it? And what I've noticed as well is a lot of people are just doing that in life in general. And it's just gotten accelerated. Is it really worth it? Is school worth it? Is that job worth it? Is church even worth it? Is what I, you know, what all my habits, are they worth it? Is it worth my effort? And... Um, uh, there's um, a professor named Ryan Burge, um, who I am indebted to uh, for the next semester. I'm going to teach a new class, and I'm able to use part of his syllabus and his ideas for it. And um, Ryan Burge um, wrote a book called The Nuns, which is basically when you fill out one of those surveys, it's the, um, the nothing in particular. It's the group of people now in the United States that's second largest to um, any other group than nothing in particular when it comes to religious beliefs. But what he's noticed is, you know, it's over 20% of the population and it's the fastest growing group in the United States. He's also noticed that the nothing in particulars about religion, like, are also now nothing in particular about politics. They're not involved in any civic organizations. They basically have checked out of community. They have checked out of everything, including education. They have some of the lowest educational levels or aspirations in the nation. And um, at the same time, the nuns are growing. We also see a growing um, 
pandemic of op opioids, despair, death, uh, deaths of despair, as they call it, for different reasons, whether it's just, you know, and uh, we're wondering what's going on in our society. Now you go like, why? This is Christmas, John. Do you not remember? We're here for some <laughs> joy, peace, hope. Yeah, but we're realistic about it. This is what our world is like. This is the world Jesus came into, the tangled mess. And so sadly, I think, people are looking at like oh, um, the knotted mess of their lives, and they just kind of want to throw it away and check out. That's why I love um, going through Isaiah this. Uh, I don't know if, how many of you have really enjoyed um, going through the prophet Isaiah over the last few weeks here. We're in chapter 9 now. Um, last week was, I know we kind of skipped around a bit, and Sunday is going to be chapter 12, but the first 12 chapters of Isaiah kind of fit together as a neat little bundle, and in it, what's fascinating about it is Isaiah says some of the greatest words, some of the most profound, um, beautiful, hope-filled, joy-filled, loving, shocking, wonderful words in the midst of some of the worst times most difficult situations, and the knotted mess called Israel at the time. Even our text tonight of Isaiah 9, which has probably got some of the most famous words, maybe because of the Messiah. Uh, if any of you ever sang in the Messiah by Handel, it's kind of fun, right? For unto us a child is born, is in our text tonight. A son is given. I know, we better not keep going, okay? Uh, it's one of my favorite pieces in it. But it starts out, and we're going to look at it right now, okay? It starts out this way. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. Did you catch that? See, Isaiah is speaking these words of hope and joy in the midst of gloom and anguish. Because northern Israel, which he is going to get at here, Zebulun and Naphtali, they're the area that was overrun by Assyria at the time. They're the area that had a, been an apostasy against God. Everything had been going wrong. Let's keep reading. So, there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and Naft land of Naphtali, but in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Isn't that amazing? So of all places in Israel, this is the place that was always considered, you know, the, eh, kind of the boonies, um, not central like Jerusalem, and had been in different ways the least faithful to God, and always on the edge. And this is exactly where Isaiah says God is going to do his greatest work. And if you notice, the life of Jesus, almost the entire gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are spent in this area, not in Jerusalem. He's born in Bethlehem, but then he lives in Nazareth? Yes, Nazareth. Okay. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, 
as they are glad when they divide the spoil for the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as in the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. That's what their life was like. They had been dealing with Assyria. They deal with Babylon. They dealt with Assyria and with Egypt. Every nation around them was stronger than they were and had run them over and run them into the ground. And every leader they ever had was just not up to par. And then Isaiah says, but this is what's going to happen. For unto us, a child is born to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. For the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And wow. Wow. He's, he's speaking about someday a ruler from the house of David is going to do what David could never do, what Solomon never did. He's going to have more than anybody else, the whole, and it's going to last forever, and it's going to break out in peace on earth. Wow. I say Jesus for president, you know? There's no leader in this world that I'd rather have, right? And what I've come to, to understand is, I get it. If you are struggling, if you've been the one who feels like checking out in the last few years, if you're, if you're questioning, you know, if you, you understand the great sort, as some are calling it, or the great um, resignation, or the migration away, or the dropping out, or the checking out that's been going on, I get it. I have been there. I've seen a lot of the students are there, are just wondering about it all. Is it worth it? I get it. And I say it's either Jesus or nothing at all. Because nothing else in between matters. There is nothing but Jesus. If it's not Jesus, there's nothing to believe in anymore. I mean, what I've maybe is sad, you know, we used to have um, much more faith in our institutions, much more faith in humanity, much more faith in um, negotiations and compromise, much more faith in democracy, much more faith in um, um, business, much more faith in um, the economy, much more faith in, faith in technology. And, and we're losing it all. Have you noticed that? We're losing it all in everything. And I say, maybe that's OK. Maybe we need to be disillusioned. Maybe we need to see the gloom that is around us. Maybe we need to finally say, it's either Jesus and because of him, then everything is worth it, or it's nothing at all. I have nothing to believe in. Okay. <laughs> so, and why do I say Jesus or nothing at all? I love these two words that we're going to look at for a, a brief moment. I've already taken a long time for the introduction, I know. And you're going like, what? That's just the introduction. <laughs> well, no. But, um, and these are... The two words, part of his name, Wonderful Counselor. It's actually, <laughs> do you like the Hebrew up there? Um, it's um, Yose uh, Pele. Pele is wonderful, and Yose is Counselor. I could have told you anything that those two <laughs> words were. All right. And I probably mispronounced them. So any Hebrew scholars out there, sorry. 
Um, he is called a wonderful counselor. We're going to look at counselor first and then wonderful and what that means. Counselor. Counselor. Um, I've gone to counseling. I've counseled others. Uh, some people ask for my counsel. I pray for them. <laughs> um, counsel often is advice. Counsel is I need some help. Counsel is I'm stuck and I need something to be fixed. Um, counsel is I need somebody just to listen and help me work this out, right? Um, what's interesting is a lot of people look at Christmas and they think, oh, Christmas is just such a cute story about this baby who's born in poverty and humility and the world just starts, and he's just all about love and acceptance and peace. And actually, the Christmas story is about one who's going to come as our counselor because we need it. In other words, it's kind of confrontational. You know, I've told some students, told, I, I, I hinted at, you know, you, you, it's really hard to tell somebody, you know, you really need counseling. Um, <laughs> it doesn't go well, does it? Um, you've probably wanted to tell somebody that at some point, right? Uh, and um, and um, I've I, I say, well, you know, um, I've found that counseling has really helped me work through some things. It's been really good. I would just, you know, I think being where you are and you're stuck, maybe, but it's like the person who really needs counseling often doesn't believe it. We really struggle with that. We struggle with that. Well, so Christmas, when Jesus is our counselor, is saying we really need one. It's saying, you know, all the world's advice, all the can-do-ness, all the abilities that we have cannot solve our real problems, okay? Now, I, my mom's here, and it's been great to have her here from Michigan, and um, I'm, my memories might be totally wrong about all of this, Mom, so you'll straighten me out later, not during the sermon, though, okay? <laughs> and that is... Um, my parents would have all sorts of, my dad was a teacher, and he'd have different families over, different teachers' families over. They'd have parties and stuff. And in Michigan, we have basements. Do you know what that, those, do people know what those are? Yeah, basements. Yeah, um, and um, the kids would all go down to the finished basement, and we'd play games all night. And as long as there wasn't too much screaming and hollering, the parents were happy. You know, they were upstairs playing cards, laughing, goofing around. But once in a while, the yelling and screaming got a little too loud. And you know what would happen, right? Some adult would come to the top of the staircase and say, you got to quiet down. What's going on? Are you guys getting along? Oh, yeah, we're fine. And then they'd walk away. But if the screaming and hollering kept going and it sounded like arguing going, somebody would come to the top of the staircase and say, don't make me come down there. Right? Well, guess what? The prophets, in a sense, God's prophets have been saying all along to the children of Israel and God's people, you know, um, don't make God come down here <laughs> to straighten this out. When all along, God kind of knew he was going to. And he doesn't come down like my parents would come down. 
or other adults would come down to knock heads and to discipline and all that stuff. You know, they didn't come down and get out the Board of Education. Have you? We had a paddle called the Board of Education as a child. Anybody else have a paddle called the Board of Education? <laughs> uh, what happened to that Board of Education, Mom? Garage sale, I'm sure. Yeah, she sold it. She sold it. Yeah. Anyway, but um, Jesus comes down. And he comes down into the middle of the mess, and he doesn't even have bodyguards with him. He doesn't come down as royalty where he's around in a palace or anything. He comes down as our wonderful counselor to take our place and not just to give us advice or tell us how to live or what to do, but to actually live the life for us, to live it with us, to feel our pain, to be closer to us than we are to ourselves, to be bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh, to understand and experience it all. What's amazing is uh, Dorothy Sayers, I'm a little out of order here, um, so you're going to have fun. <laughs> Dorothy Sayers, a British author, uh, she wrote a lot of detective stories, and she was a Christian. She answers kind of the reason why um, and, and all of this about Jesus. And she says, the incarnation means that for whatever reason God chose to let us fall into a condition of being limited, to suffer, to be subjected to sorrow and death, he was nonetheless had honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. He himself has gone through the whole of human experience from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, death, and despair. He was born in poverty and suffered infinite pain all for us and thought it well worth his while. That's your counselor. No counselor I've ever gone to and no counsel I've ever given actually says, okay, let me take that from you. In fact, they're almost told, don't get that involved. Don't get emotionally. Jesus gets so emotionally attached to you, whatever pain you're feeling, he feels. He feels it deeper. He feels it more profoundly. He understands it more intimately than we understand it ourselves. We don't know ourselves as well as Jesus knows us. I don't know if you've ever realized that. You know, when I hear people saying, you know, I'm going to have to find myself, it's like, well, that's nice to say, but I don't care how much you discover about yourself, you really won't know yourself that well. I still don't understand why I do some of the things I do. I don't understand why I'm so easily frightened or anxious or worry. All I know is I do. But Jesus understands it all. He empathizes with it all. He gets it. That's what's amazing to me. He's the counselor that can solve everything. Why do I, you know, the real issues in life cannot be solved by the latest version of your smartphone. Okay? The real issues in life are not going to be solved, sadly, through a political process of compromise. The real issues in life are not going to be solved in a classroom. And I am so for education. I keep trying to grow in education. We are not anti-science. We are not anti-education. Um, We're not anti-culture or any of that stuff as Christians. But we know the real issues are solved by a little baby born in a manger and it's either him or it's nothing at all that's going to work. 
You see, the real issues that we need, here are these three that I think Timothy Keller says, and I think this, I need to be able to face death with assurance and confidence, maybe even a little joy when it does come. I need to be able to live with my past and have peace of conscience and deeply accepting myself with all my flaws and brokenness. And I thirdly need to be able to forgive enemies from the heart, even if they've done the unthinkable. And who's going to solve that? Who's going to solve that? Wonder of wonders. It's Jesus. And he's not just, and that's why we're looking at this second word called wonder. He's not just a counselor. He is the wonderful counselor. He is the one who is able that we are astonished at how he solves each of these issues. So Jesus doesn't just tell me how to live or how to die or show me. He dies in my place for me. And what's so shockingly wonderful about this Jesus is he uses none of his omnipotence, none of those other names in that list in Isaiah of wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, to give to himself some kind of Kevlar-like jacket upon that cross or anywhere in life to protect himself or to blunt the pain or the agony of the isolation and the rejection and the hatred and the vitriol and the sinfulness of the world and the wrath of God upon himself. No, he experienced it all. He feels it all. He, ex he takes it all in. That's his death. So that he can give me confidence in death when I finally come to that point, and hopefully it's not like too soon, okay? I don't know what too soon means, actually. But the point is, when I come to that point of death, I know I've got somebody who's already gone there before me. He's cleared the way, and he is holding my hand and taking me there. I'm not alone. And I have had the privilege as a pastor over 30-some years to be at the deathbed of a number of members of our church, my churches over the years, and others. And I know of people who work in hospice as well, and you could talk to hospice workers too. And they will tell you, they can tell the difference between someone who has faith in God's promises and has some, something to look forward to and those who have nothing to grab onto when they're facing their last moment. And time and again, in this congregation as well, I have seen people face death with confidence and assurance that God is with them and his God is going to lead them home because he's already gone through it. Secondly, though, a wonderful counselor is able to give us a peace of conscience and a deep acceptance of ourselves. Let's be a little real tonight about this. Um, I have said things, I have done things, I've wanted to do things. I've wanted to do a lot more things than I do because I'm embarrassed to do them or I don't want to get caught or all that stuff. And things that I regret wanting or doing or saying or not doing. And I should regret them, okay? Now, you, there might be, oh, you should have no regrets and you should have, it's like, re honestly, I have regrets. You know, there were kids that I did bully in school, that I did call names, that I did things to, well, maybe they were going to do it, but whoever, 
I can try to rationalize or justify or minimize any of those things, but that's not going to solve it. Jesus forgives all that. What's amazing to me is, um, of all people, Paul, the dude that wrote more books in the New Testament than any others, who was Saul, who had persecuted Christians, who late in his life, not like right after he was converted, he says right before he dies in 1 Timothy, he says this saying is trustworthy and true, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. That is one of the slides I think there, and it should be, yes? Yes, okay, good. Thank you. I didn't, okay. And um, I am the foremost. Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who, were being believe, uh, who would believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever. He considered himself, St. Paul considered himself the worst. Okay? And yet, he could glory in God and know, I've done the worst. He's the best. I'm looking towards the future. I'm absolutely, I can live with a clear conscience knowing God is working all that out. Do you know how beautiful that is? How beautiful that is. And finally, to forgive people from your heart, even if they've done the unthinkable. The wonder of wonders is there's no conditional clause on God's forgiveness for you. Jesus is not on the cross going like, okay, you're forgiven so long as, if only, possibly, there's no ifs, there's no maybes. It is absolute, unconditional, fully given. That's what forgiveness is. And forgiveness is given even at times before the person wants to be forgiven. Because I am releasing them. And I'm freeing myself from holding on to it. Now, you might go, what? The unthinkable? There are some things that people... I'm not saying that a person doesn't go to prison for things that they might have done against you. I'm not saying that you're going to be buddy-buddy with those people for the rest. I'm not saying that they may... They, but what you're wishing for them, what you want for them, is the best. And sometimes the best is that they won't be around you. Or they won't be in the rest of society at the moment. But you want the best for them. You want eternal life for them. You want God's love for them. You want them to know that they are absolutely forgiven as you've been forgiven. And this wonderful counselor is the one who does that. Wonder of wonder. Now, have you ever wondered what the word wonder means? Um, maybe the best way is um, wonder is... Um, I don't know if it was C.S. Lewis or, um, but I read this week, wonder is spontaneous praise. The fact that you just go like, wow, amazing. You're thrilled. You're excited. You're like, oh, that's great. Wonder is spontaneous praise. It's where you have no problem in saying thank you. You have no problem in going like, that was great. You have no problem in lauding and honoring and glorifying at all. In fact, you know, when the Bible talks about praising God and it commands it, it's not like God has a, bad, a bruised ego and he needs a few compliments. 
It is the fact that God is wanting you to enter into the fullness of wonder and joy and enjoyment of him. C.S. Lewis put it this way. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It's the appointed consummation. The Scottish Catechism says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But we shall then know, that is, when we get to eternity, that these are the same thing. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to, be, to glorify him, God is inviting us to actually enjoy him. What you need in this world right now, we need more than ever, is some wonder. Some just amazement of just being head over heels in love with your Savior Jesus and going like, wow, what a wonderful counsel. I can't believe you took my place. I can't believe you'd forgive all my sins. I can't believe I don't have to think about my past. I don't have to have any regrets. I can't believe that you faced death and that you've opened up the way of eternal life for me. What? Wonder. Um, so this last Sunday, some of you were with us. We went uh, Christmas caroling in my neighborhood, and it was kind of fun, wasn't it, Vicky? And one of the houses we went to, there was probably an 18-month-old child, little girl, just the cutest little curls in her hair. And we started to sing. I think it was Hark the Herald was the first song. And she comes out at the front door, and she's just got the biggest eyes, and she is dancing. I wish we could have gotten the video of it, but we didn't want to videotape kids we didn't know, you know. But it, it was just the cutest thing. She's dancing away, and after every song, she claps and just is so excited and jumping around and all. Do you remember ever having that? As an adult, somehow we just give up on all that. That's what we need this Christmas, to have those wide eyes of wonder again in the simplicity, in the beauty of our Savior Jesus, the greatest gift, the most amazing work of art, the most accomplished piece of music, the most beautiful scene and image, Jesus. That's your Savior, the wonderful counselor. Let's pray. Lord God, um, thank you for this time for um, the, the beauty of your name, the fact that you would come to this world, that you would take this tangled mess and just with your presence start untangling all of this that this world is filled with right now, Lord God. We pray for all those who are with us tonight that they, we would all be filled with wonder and the joy that comes from the Holy Spirit. We trust you. We know the promises you have for us. We pray, Lord Jesus, too, for those in our lives who right now have been having a very difficult time, who are struggling, Lord God, with um, questions and doubts, who have checked out or are considering checking out in one way or another, Lord God. We pray that we could show your love to them the beauty of who you are. Not, not, not try to pep talk them into believing in all sorts of stuff. It's really, there's nothing else to believe in but you, Lord Jesus. But you are enough. You are more than enough. You are our wonderful counselor, mighty God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We praise you for this night. 
And as we now offer ourselves to you, we also offer our tithes and offerings for the beauty of who you are, for the extension of your kingdom in this world. All this we pray in Jesus' name.